Over and over. Well, no, oh, there's your sound effect drive. bingo card square, yes. by the way. Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. Welcome to your regularly scheduled program. This is Midsummer Maniacs, <laughs> a comedy recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. You know, I see you every day. Yep. But we took two weeks off, and I missed you. I missed you, too. I missed doing this. Yes, this is fun. Well, you know, it's good that it's fun, because we're going to do a whole bunch of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because of the many episodes that are coming up. So Acorn did this crazy thing where they released all the new episodes to finish off season 22. So we are going to do spoiler-free mini episodes Mm -hmm. for each of those. And the first one of those dropped last Friday, October 8th, uh, which was season 22, episode 3, Happy Families, or... Winter's banana hammock. Yeah, as it's become. <laughs> what does that boy have on under those PJs? Poor Winter. <laughs> oh, strangely enough, our highest episode for one day total ever. <laughs> you guys were really interested. In There's the win- no spoiler, so the mini episode doesn't contain the answer to that question. No. Sorry. We, there is speculation, but we don't know. <laughs> but you can watch that before or after the episode. No spoilers at all. Unlike this episode, which is for season 17, episode one, The Dagger Club, in which we're going to have all sorts of spoilers. It's jam-packed full of spoilers. It's like if you opened the trunk of your car and shoved in all the groceries and you had to bounce up and down on the hood, the the trunk to close it full of spoilers like that. So in October, (laughs) we're going to do... Four. Like when you have to fit into your to your fat pants after Thanksgiving, full of spoilers. <laughs> fat pants. We're going to do four mini episodes, plus four regular episodes, plus all our Halloween stuff. Thank you so much for all the nice things you've already said about the Halloween decorations I posted on our Instagram pictures. And we're going to release a newsletter in November. The the newsletter we just released had a special thing in it. Yeah, bingo cards. Yes. Thanks, Beatrice. They're so awesome. Beatrice. Though they're tricksy. Yes. Because as soon as I looked at them, I immediately started doing everything that's on it. So if you <laughs> if you haven't signed up for the newsletter, I'm so please suggestible. sign up for the newsletter. Second of all, if you do... If you had, you would have gotten the release of these bingo cards a week early because I'm going to release them on the the uh, Instagram and Twitter and all that good stuff yeah. on Wednesday yeah. of this coming week, the 13th of October. So everybody can see them. Yeah, we just want to give the people... Because Beatrice, a listener, was so kind to put them together and they're really funny. We, we <laughs> want to try as much as possible with the people who give us some love is to give some love back to them. And, Absolutely. And joining our mailing list shows... You love us. Speaking of love, we got followed by somebody who makes really awesome stuff. Let's give them some love. Yes. So this is an account on Instagram called Hammered 
Woodcrafts. And an, a new, brand new Etsy store. Yes. They're, they're just at the very beginning, so bear with them. And they have done some amazing work. So it's, they make handmade wooden signs, and they've got a whole line that are all Midsummer, Like Midsummer County, enter at your own risk. Yeah. Is that what it says? I think that's what it says. Uh, let me look up what it says exactly. And they're so, doing some... So they do a Midsummer County, welcome to Midsummer County, Entry is entirely at your own risk yeah. sign with a badger on it, which mm-hmm. is really nice. It looks beautiful. Mm-hmm. They do Badger's Drift, Midsummer Worthy, Fletcher's Cross, Aspen Towel. Obviously a fan of the show. Yeah. Obviously a fan of the show. And I, I'm telling you right now, we we reached out to these people. They, they didn't reach out to us. They followed us. Yep. And that made us aware of them. And then we reached out to them because what they make is so cool. And they're just a little bitty company on California just getting started. Really cool stuff. The lady who runs it, Kelly, told me that they're going to add Costin to the signs and Costin CID. Cool. All with badgers. They're super and, cool. And their prices seemed reasonable for that for that whole set that we talked about. Yeah. Is 150 US or 110 pounds, and then individual signs are 40 US and 29 pounds each, which I think is completely reasonable for a handmade wooden sign. Yeah. And plus shipping, of course, but they certainly seem to be super nice and super great. And we, like, I saw those signs and I was like, oh, we need to get one of those because that was awesome. We also just have listeners who are super creative all the time so if you make something that you think you know other listeners would like let us know about it yeah and if we think it's a good fit we'll certainly be happy to mention it speaking of i make other things you do i do no you don't yes uh, you spend all of your time making midsummer maniacs no well it seems like it this month but But i'm i'm a extra level of crazy because this month I'm releasing my second kickstarter for my comic book comic book has nothing to do with midsummer murders but we hope if you're interested in what we do on the podcast that you might be interested in the comic book it's it is targeted to young women particularly young women of color it is a a comic about using science and reason and thought to challenge the supernatural yeah it's fun. And drawn by an amazing artist who does work with Dark Horse Comics already. Mm-hmm. Just fantastic. Uh, I'll put information about that in the show notes. If you, you in no means have to do anything yep. for that, but if you if like it. If you're not it, interested, ignore it. If you are, check it out. Check it out. Okay. The Dagger Club. Ooh, we're in spooky month. This is my favorite month of yes. the year. I oh, love October This is so all much. spooky. There's there's the next this episode really isn't very spooky no but. but our next episode full episodes about magic yes the one after that is the, about folk music the mini episodes but, are spooky but the mini sure. episodes are totally spooky i it's love good. october yeah so much the leaves are changing i can wear a sweater i have a body for winter you know not not sergeant winter okay i didn't want you to get worried <laughs> there you, you gave me a look like what are you trying to say sarah Huh? Banana hammocks are your thing now? <laughs> no. Like, you know, I have a body for winter time. You can only get so naked, but you can always put on more layers and still look good. Speaking of I spo- like it when the weather changes. Speaking of spooky, and we will get to the episode. We do a Halloween display. Sarah does all this amazing, basically, works of art that we put out, and hundreds of people stop by our house and everything. And we have a theme this year. We have a theme every year, but yeah. this is our ninth year of doing it. It's Ghostbusters. 
Uh, we will have high res, nice quality pictures of that in next month's newsletter. Yeah, if you want to see what I do when I'm not working or recording this podcast. <laughs> How did we raise four children? Uh, I, don't, I don't really understand that now. Well, in between, I guess. They turned out okay so far. They're almost 20. They're oh fantastic. God, it's so terrifying. Oh my gosh. Okay, oh, this let's episode. Let's talk about fictional stuff. The Dagger Club. Was, Yay! Did you know that there's not really a club in this episode? No, it's not an official club, but it's people no. who like, what's his name? Jed Dagger. Jed Dagger. Filmed April and May 2014. Broadcast on the 28th of January 2015. 5.91 million views. Directed by Alex Pillai. And written by Chris Murray. This is set in Luxton Deeping. Yes. Do you know what a deeping is? No, it's a deeping. It's a low place. Okay. Like it's a valley? Like it's deep. Like a small valley. It's a okay. deeping. That makes sense. And, you know, this is one of those episodes. There's there's about 10 murders in all of Midsummer Murders that are like quintessential crazy murder methods that if you're talking to somebody who's never seen it and you're like... Oh, it's kind of fun. It's lighthearted. It's the not cheese. real dark. You know, people die by the cheese wine and catapult. being stuck in a dryer. Yep. Oh, and roulette wheels they receive in that, the mail. This is <laughs> this is roulette wheels. Now, I talked about this a few episodes ago that I, I thought that was the episode, but this is the episode. Yeah, it's easy to get them confused because it's not an episode that's about casinos or anything. It's not... You know, gambling is, is a theme, but it's not a big theme. And so it's easy to forget. So Susie Colebrook comes home, finds her house broken into. A package gets delivered by the postal worker on his little bike. Is she the one who drives the Woody? Yes. It's a nice Woody. I always like the cars. Yeah. The older cars. Her house has been trashed and a manuscript has been stolen. Stolen. From a drawer. If you if you had that thing, if you had that manuscript, is that where you would keep it? I can't tell you how many times in my notes I have written, why did she not keep the manuscript locked up? Or hidden, not in a drawer in the living room. Just put like a lock on it. Something. Something. Put it somewhere where people wouldn't know to look. I know where they could put it. Right beside the copy machine after they made another copy of it. <laughs> no, you could only have one copy. Yeah. Especially... Because we are led to believe this is a typewritten manuscript. Yes. If it's a typewritten manuscript, I'm telling you, you need to be copying it every day. Well, especially if you're the author, the very first thing you would do is copy it, right? I mean, yeah. you'd copy the progress. You'd make sure there were duplicates of it. You're just asking for trouble a if you only have one. physical thing like that, you're asking for trouble. So Susie is an artist, and she illustrates the covers of these the series of mystery novels, and... Yeah. She's painting one, obviously at the time, for this manuscript that's never been seen before by a writer who's dead, right? This yeah. posthumous publication. I understand that she paints mystery novel covers, but I don't think she needs a full-size skeleton hanging right next to her canvas for reference. No, I don't think so either. And I also, like, okay, this episode required a lot of extra material. Mm -hmm. It just did. Yeah, like set Those dressing. Those roulette yeah. wheels, all the magazines, the book covers, the paintings. There's a lot of stuff that they make. Mm -hmm. They could have made those paintings a bit better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Somebody got commissioned to paint like 20 of them. 
They probably had to churn them out pretty quick. Yeah, I got to think so. But they look... The the books are supposed to be set in the 60s. They're very James Bondy. if James Bond had a drinking problem. Yes. Kind of covers. Yeah. And I think they look accurate to the 60s. Yeah. If they were from then, the fact that they're actually modern books, they're just set then. Yeah. I, uh, love, I love book covers, but I wasn't too super impressed with these. Susie's got all kinds of good stuff in her place. Not only does she have the skeleton hanging, but she's also got magazines on the floor from where the place has been rifled yes so there's a midsummer life magazine which is a great reference back to a previous episode but she's also got a copy of tractors tractors just tractors why does she have a copy of tractors there i don't know i mean artists have strange things for reference images based on her husband she should have a how to most inefficiently print a book book (laughs) uh book That's one of my big questions in the episode is that her husband, Niles, who has a print shop, like literally like block printing Gutenberg press kind of print shop is going to publish a book. Oh, we'll get there. How is he going to do that? We will get there. One page at a time is how he's going to do it. We'll get there. The, The package is addressed to her at Home Cottage, Millbrook Lane, Luxon Deeping, M3I4RT. It only has like stamps on it. Yeah. Well, you know. They must be high value stamps. It's England. Inside is a roulette wheel, which of course I would like it. Okay. I do watch a lot of mystery shows. Hmm. But if I got a roulette wheel in the mail, I would be like, this is strange. Oh, okay. First of all, you definitely open the box. Don't say that you wouldn't. Oh, I'd open the box, and, and I, but I would flip it over. You flip what over? The the roulette wheel. So you take it out of the box, and then you look at the underside. Yeah. To see what? Maybe wires or. But bomb, there aren't any. Bomb goes in here. <laughs> but there aren't something. any. There's nothing on the outside. I guess it seems weird to me. Then there's a note, and the note says, "Whatever you do, don't touch." the spinner and i am completely off right now because that is written in typewriter font mm-hmm. meant to look like it was typed mm-hmm. but it is the font's way too big easily twice the size of what a type like a typewriter that would type that would have to be ginormous as big as a piano <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You, you, you listeners don't know this, but I don't, I don't know if we've mentioned we've mentioned it that you collect typewriters. We yeah. have easily a dozen typewriters in our house. Yep, N- all of them are kind of standard uh, twelve point type. I would say. Yeah. Um. Yeah. To print that size, which even is, twelve is a bit big. For it's a easily typewriter. like eighteen point font at least on it, those cards. And then I started imagining a typewriter as big as a piano. Piano, and <laughs> I was off. <laughs> it's typewriter font, but it was not printed on a typewriter. And it's it, it does have a nice red on the back. Mm-hmm. The red coloring is is good ribbon red there. So you get this box. Yep. There's no from address. Nope. You open it. We can see that both of us would definitely open it. Yep. You would take the roulette wheel out of the box. Yes. Because you're going to look at the bottom of it at least. Yes. The card says, whatever you do, don't touch the spinner. Yeah. What do you do? Honest. Be honest. What would you do? What do you think you would do? The most honest answer, mm-hmm. I would show it to you to let you touch the spinner because I wouldn't touch the spinner. And I know you would. So 
I get killed. <laughs> I couldn't do it. Oh my gosh. I could not do that. What, because it says don't do it? Yes. So you wouldn't do it? No. But I would be desperate to know what would happen if I did. <laughs> and I know that if I showed it to you, you would be like, oh, where's the spinner thing? I need to touch it immediately. Okay. But that would make me suspicious. Yes. Not not you telling me to touch it. <laughs> but the card would make me suspicious. So the first thing I would do is call Maggie. Yes. Say, why did you send this to me? What, what is this? Right? Before I did anything with it, if, I would if say. If I'm not supposed to touch the spinner, what am I supposed to touch? Right. Yes. And why did you send it to me? Yep. And then um, if it was from me, like yep. Cecilia's is later in the episode, or if I don't know Maggie or I can't reach Maggie, I don't think I would suspect that. It was going to electrocute me, though I have to believe that when you pick it up, some stuff inside moves. You would hear some unusual yeah. sounds, right? I still don't understand how it works. Because especially this first one, she's not even touching it. No. So to generate enough electricity to kill somebody to go through the air? Oh, I, I long ago gave up the idea that it generated its own electricity through spinning. No, no. No, I'm sure there's batteries in it. Yeah. But the batteries to generate enough electricity to go through the air to kill somebody? Yeah, to, to arc, to touch you if you're not in direct contact. I don't think a car battery would do that. Uh, I think it could. I think it could. If you had it hooked up the right way. Well. But certainly not a battery small enough to fit inside that unless no. it was like some super top secret, super lithium battery. I love how in some episodes they go out of their way to drop a clue. Like I did electronics and bomb disposal during the war. Yeah. There's none of that. No. This No, the, the killer is a doctor. The killer's a doctor. There are a million ways that a doctor would kill long before this way. Yes. <laughs> yes, I agree. That would be much more subtle, and you'd get away with it. He got away with faking somebody's death before. He should be able to be able to make it look like a suicide or something. I don't disagree with his reason for killing. Like you, you disagree an, with it, but you understand it. And there's an inciting incident here. Yeah. But his method of killing... Like, like digitoxin or something like that that would make them appear to have had a heart attack or it's, it's like the murderer was watching midsummer and yeah, saw one oh what a oh, good idea that, that's what i'll do i'll do a wild and crazy idea and i'm gonna kill two people that seemingly have no connection to one another and their one connection is the thing that will give me away so yeah. i'll kill them in the same way that is sure to get police's attention yeah. He's a dummy. I don't know how he made it through med school. I think the writing of this episode was they had the cold opening and they had the second box being a like a, a device to create tension. tension. Yeah, because they want to get to her before she spends it. And then they finished the episode. From there. From there. Yeah. Like, and that's cool. I, don't know. Go, I that's like cool. it. I that's don't care. Cool. I'll suspend disbelief all day long. Yeah. It's midsummer. Yeah. I'll go with it. Yep. There's somewhere there's a croupier going, I got to quit my job. What my biggest problem is they didn't tour the print shop and do more stuff about printing. Because you're a print nerd. Because I like print. Then we get to see. Okay, zap. <laughs> She's not a bad dead body there. No. No. Then we get to see Betty. Betty. Baby Betty. Yes. 
Sykes has a nice bowl. Did you see it? Like Sykes ceramic. has had a nice bowl for a long yeah, time. It's ceramic. Poor Sykes just wants to go for a walk. That dog's had his legs crossed the whole time. Several times in my notes. Can Sykes just not go to the bathroom, please? Can you just? Like, <laughs> can, I think there's a difference let. between letting him out and taking him for a walk. I think he wants to go for a walk. Yes. And they're both hiding that they're tired. Anybody with children understands. Oh, wow. First, you put on the brave face. First, first three years. You're... <laughs> Walking around exhausted. <laughs> what you needed was yummy monkey yoga. Sarah is doing the new mom thing. Yep. Lots of new moms do. I would say the majority well, of new moms yoga. do There's it. There's nothing wrong with yoga. No. It's cool to do yoga with your baby because it gets you out of the house. It helps move around. It and fights oh my gosh, post- she got her figure back fast. Yeah. The actress did. Yeah. She actually had a baby. Yes, she did. But I, I'm, not, I'm a little worried about yummy monkey. Monkeys aren't yummy. <laughs> no, don't eat monkeys. The other thing she says she's going to go to is make and shake. Yeah, I tried to find that, but I was unsuccessful. I but was, you said... I was successful. Make and shake is a fun, friendly preschool group for parents and carers to share with their child, which combines hands-on cookery with energetic physical activity, a.k.a. something you do not do with a newborn. Oh, <laughs> it's like a preschool thing. Oh, okay. If you had like a three or four year old, I well, think it she's would be fun. Definitely a, she's definitely uh, a newborn here. Yeah, Betty's a newborn. She's not going to go make and shake anything. Sarah's going to go make and shake. Making and shaking. Making and shaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the whole idea of the card that is with the roulette wheel is that it's reverse psychology. Right? Yes. Whatever you do, don't touch that button. Yes. Just makes you want to touch that button. Barnaby talks about that at the scene of the crime. But do you know anything about reverse psychology and reality, like how it actually works? Okay. My knowledge of reverse psychology began mm. with Daffy Duck. Because mm. Daffy Duck and and Wilmer Elmer Fudd in my very favorite cartoon, which is Duck Season, mm-hmm. Daffy several times uses... Uh, sorry, Bugs several times uses reverse psychology there. In that, in that which is you say something... Like, uh, don't throw me in that briar patch, whatever you do. Don't press that red button. Mm -hmm. And then the person does it. Right. Does the, uh, the thing that you're trying to get them to not to do. That's what it is. Yeah. But do you know anything more about it? No. Like, like the psychology of it? Like the actual. No, I, I, my, my psych 101 class was so long ago. They talked about (laughs) phrenology, I think. (laughs) You got a criminal's skull. So the the idea is, they actually call it, the, the real name for it, is strategic self-anticonformity. Oh. So what you're doing is you're setting up a scenario where someone who already has an oppositional personality, yep. to especially to authority, yeah. once you know that about someone, then you know that if you tell them not to do something that they will instinctually want to do it in some way. They will want to circumvent that prohibition in some way. Yes. Because of who they are. Yes. So you're really taking advantage of somebody's personality. It's, okay. it's a method of manipulation. Yes. It's not a good thing. So in this instance, the killer knows this about... Susie, Susie. and Cecilia, that and apparently Cecilia. they are reactionary yep. and, and nonconformist. And it's fun and playful here. This is not... It is. This is not a, like, when Cecilia calls you, Mm. whoever you is, 
Um, like, uh, she's playful. Right. It's, it's not as if there's a loaded gun and it says, whatever you do, don't put this against your head. Yes. Right. Yes. It's a toy. Yeah. A, a playful thing to begin with. And the yeah. card says, whatever you do, don't play with it, basically. Yeah. Which, if it's coming from a friend, means, well, they want me to actually play with it. Yes. They want me to do that. And they're kind of joking around. Yes. Um, we used to do this with the children with books we wanted to get them to read. Yeah, whatever say, you do, don't read that don't book. Don't read that book. It's really good. It's you horrible. might like it. Related to this, though, that I found interesting, and I'd never heard of this, is the Streisand effect. Do you know what that is? Yes, I do know what the Streisand effect is. It's when you inadvertently draw attention to something by trying to hide it. Yes, and it's based <laughs> on a Streisand party. It, no, it's a photo of her house. A photo of her house. That's showing right. a, a cliff in California that was eroding. Yeah. And then she filed all this legal stuff to suppress the photo of her house and just drew more attention to it. Yes. <laughs> but it's like the, whatever you do, don't look over there. So then we get to see Niles, who is Susie's husband, his it, print shop out in the garage. In the print shop in the garage. First of all, I would love this print shop because mm -hmm. I could make all sorts of printed things and I like to make printed things. And he does have a number of real printing presses there. I have a feeling that this is, uh, I, I didn't find information about where specifically this print shop is, but I have a feeling that they just kind of dressed up an actual print shop. Yeah, I think so. Like somebody who does vintage printing it may yep. even be somebody who makes things for shows like this my note here is this print shop would be hard pressed to print a novel <laughs> yeah especially more than one copy of it the very base level is he would have two page spreads mm -hmm. that's the best he could do if you think of like original shakespeare folios yep they're like newspaper size half newspaper size the Quartos. best you could do is two page papers like that yeah not four pages. No. His printer press is not big enough. No. Not and the I, one we get to see. And anyway. let's say the novel's 250 pages. So that's <laughs> that's that's 125 plates. Okay, I've done all this. Yeah. 125 plates. Nerd alert. That he Nerd has alert. to put together. Yeah. Right? And which cut he, apart, too. Which he has not started yet. Right. Because <laughs> he doesn't even see the manuscript. he doesn't have the manuscript yet. So he, he has to create those plates, which takes time. Like, yeah. this is... A One year, letter at a time. A year and a half of work ahead of ahead of getting the manuscript. I think we've made the point that Niles was not really realistically going to print this. My book. next note is mm, printing presses. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get to meet Bella Summersby and Rob Mead. And do you know who plays Rob Mead? Okay, so Rob is is so so Bella and Rob own the bookshop. Yes. The world's largest bookshop. It's bigger on the inside, that's for sure. <laughs> that's for sure. It's like a TARDIS. No, no, I don't know who he is. That's Cobna Holbrook Smith. Okay. He narrates all of the Ben Aronovich Rivers of London books. Oh, okay. I have listened to hundreds of hours of Cobna Holbrook Smith's voice. Okay. He's so underused in this episode. He definitely is. He's such a good narrator. And he has done so much Shakespeare, it's crazy. I think he has probably single-handedly diversified the casts of big theater Shakespeare productions. He has led the way in London for people of color to be major roles in big budget Shakespearean productions. Well, that's cool. He's so good. But I found out he's gonna he's 
in post-production of a new movie that's coming out in two years. Okay. Called Wonka. Oh. That is a story of Willy Wonka when he was young and how he met the Oompa Loompas. Oh. And all kinds of people are in it. Is that crazy or what? That is. It's a weird thing. He's he is the second most underused person in this episode. True. Una Stubbs is way more underused in this episode. Mm, who? Una Stubbs. Who's Una? she plays Audrey? Oh yes. I get I get them confused because her name is Una Stubbs, and then the woman who plays Susie Colebrook is Una Kirsch. But Una Stubbs is U N A, and yes. Una Kirsch is O O N A. <laughs> but they're both Una anyway. Yes, because. Una Stubbs, who plays um, Audrey Bracefold, uh, Braceford in this, you've seen her before. She was in season one, episode two, Written in Blood. She was Selena Jennings. Yep. It's never too early to drink. It's noon somewhere, right? Yes. She she's was so Miss, good. She's Mrs. Hudson. <laughs> and she's Sherlock. Mrs. Hudson and Sherlock. Yeah. Plus tons of other things. Yes. She passed away just in August. Oh, that's a shame. Just a month and a half ago. She's super good. So they've got this bookshop. Yes. And work, and they're having the crime writing festival where crime plays. It's the third annual one. It's not a very big festival. No, it's not. It's really just about George Summersby. Well, George and one other person, Silas <laughs> Raven. So George Summersby, uh, Summersby is the one who writes the dagger books, and his daughter is the one who owns the bookshop with her husband. And her uncle, who is George's brother, has written a memoir of he and his brother yes. collaborating. And so, yeah, you got the whole family thing going on. And meanwhile, Kobna Harbrook Smith is just over there going, I have a great voice. Let me talk more. Can I talk more? No. I should no. talk more. No. No. I have a gambling because problem. Because you know who has to talk is Silas Raven. Yeah. Yes, because over on the side is a real author, yeah. Silas Raven. Play, or is it Trent Krim of The Independent? <laughs> if you watch Ted Lasso, you get that joke. That's James Lance. I, every time I see James Lance, I think, man, he has good hair. He's always had good hair. He's, okay, there, there are a number of things with Mr. Lance. Okay, first of all, he has great hair. Mm -hmm. Second of all, he plays characters who have great names. Yes. Okay, third of all, he looks stupid. Stunningly like my best friend from a childhood. <laughs> so much so that we... We in, call him by that guy's name that when we guy's see him. That guy's name when yeah. we see him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is an uh, underutilized actor in this episode. Well, well uh, what he's done in Ted Lasso has been very good. I want to know more about the book. Yes. So it's, his book is called Cry Wolf, in which he uses the rich characterization method. Did you see what his rich... Oh, yes. Realism, intention, character, and heroism. Yes. Character... For a detective who's also a werewolf? Yes. And he's a detective by day and werewolf by night, uh -huh. but only two nights a month, I guess, because he's a werewolf. Depends what version of werewolf you're going with. I guess. Some people say when the moon is full, they can't control it. But they can control it the rest of the time. They can become a wolf whenever they want. I guess. And I, it's, it varies whether he becomes a wolf or a wolf man. I actually kind of like that idea. <laughs> <laughs> you would read that? It's kind of interesting. <laughs> you know, I like crossover stuff like that. But Miles has no interest in him. Uh, Jenny doesn't like him either. But Audrey's the best because she's got Beats headphones on. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She, this is Una Stubbs. 
she she sits in that coffee shop with her $500 headphones on and immediately moves one back so it's not covering her ear so she can listen to what's going on yes. in the room. And I was <laughs> I was wrong. He's not a detective by day. He's a billionaire by day. Oh, that's day. right. He's like Batman. <laughs> I was like, it's Wolfman, but Batman. And you've, you've seen that kind of writer and you've seen that kind of book. And Curtis Brailsford is like, Faker, hate you. <laughs> you suck. Let me ask you a question. Like, <laughs> he just stands in the back of the room and he's like, How is it to suck as bad as you? Yeah. What's it like to write books that aren't as good as Summersby's books? Hmm. Anyway, that's the end of our question time here at the Crime Writers. <laughs> so, Nick Festival. Summersby is the brother, the doctor. The, and his book is called killer. My Deaths with George. And he's the killer. It's so bad. I think. And, and the O in George is like a, a target. Yes. It's so bad. <laughs> like, but it's a realistic looking book. Oh, it's the a realistic book. The prop maker book. did a good job. But again, Nick has to be a little cray cray here because of the method he uses to kill people. Mm hmm. And the fact that he wrote a book called My Deaths with George. And doesn't the, include the one where they fake George's death? The brother that he <laughs> faked the death of and then will and eventually then kill in this Again episode. later. Yeah. So Maggie Markham is married to Nick and she's hosting the festival, right? Yes. And of course they come and and talk to her because the note on the roulette wheel says to Susie from Maggie. Yes. Right. And it's based on the first Jed Dagger book, Wheels of Justice. And so they've got to go talk to her. And when <laughs> they talk to her, she's in the bookshop and there are stacks of books everywhere. Yes. And there's a book on a stack behind her head that I had to pause and look at. Okay. Because I thought it was called Wash and Die, D-I-E. Mm. And it was called Wash and Die. So then I needed to know, is that a real book? Yes. And yes, it is. Okay. Um, so this is a, a tradition within detective fiction of all types to have these kind of clever play on words titles. It's especially true... In the last, I would say, 15, 20 years or so, that there's these all these cozy uh, mysteries that have these very pun-filled yes. titles. Yes. So when I looked up Wash and Die to see if it was real, yes, it's real. But right next to it was Wash, Rinse, and Die. Oh, okay. Which is a, a mystery set in a hair salon called okay. Teasin' and Pleasin'. Okay. And then there was Wash, Fold, and Die, which is a mystery set in a dry cleaner. Okay. And that made me think, I wonder what other bad punny titles are out there. Okay. So I got a little game for you. Are you ready? Okay. I, I like games. And this is not on the bingo card, but... No, but you can play along if you're okay. listening at home. Okay. So I have a list of book titles. Yes. Some of which are real and some aren't. Okay. And they are all puntastic cozy mystery titles Th these are always fantastic i love when people do quizzes like this and yeah you you like it's like is this a batman villain or a new iphone product right <laughs> like <laughs> and so your job is to tell me which of these is not a real title so this is real or not real and for the ones that i made up i did search for them just in case okay somebody so had you thought made of it these before. up you didn't come up with a list right 
found a list or anything? No, okay. no, no. Okay. I, I found the titles okay. and okay. then I made some up. Okay, how many are there? There is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay, what's the over under on this? I'm not telling you that. No, no. Okay, what do you think? I get four of these? I think I get four of these. Okay. Four of them right out of eight. Murders, no votive confidence. Murder in a New England candle shop. Murders, no votive confidence. Do you want to say real or fake after each one, or you want me to read the whole e- list? Each one. Each one. Okay. Okay. It doesn't roll off the tongue, so I'm going to go fake. Oh, that's a real one. Oh, I'm over one right now. <laughs> okay. Arsenic and Old Base. Murder at a rock and roll camp for baby boomers. Wow, these are hard. Obviously playing off Arsenic and Old Lace, which is a play that became a movie that's all fantastic. I'm going to go real. Nope. Oh, I made that one up. I'm over two. <laughs> okay. Number three. Yep. Wanton terror. Murder in a Chinese restaurant. Wanton, Wanton terror. terror. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go that's real. That is real. Okay. Two and one. Oh. Ding, ding, ding. One and two. Okay. End me a tenor. Murder in a glee club. End me a tenor. I think it's supposed to be like, lend me a tenor. End me a tenor. But it's end me a tenor. Tenor. I'll go, I'll go real on that. That is real. Okay, two and two. Okay, I'm back to 50% here. Dial om for murder. Murder at a yoga retreat. That's false. That's real. Oh my god! You got it wrong. Wow, dial om for murder. I am two to three here ready yep dead men sell no kales murder at an organic farmer's market that's false yeah i made that one. okay <laughs> three and three it was a good one though i got a chance to get two more that I, i'm either gonna get 50 percent or just above 50 percent. okay okay two more okay. frosty the dead man murder in a snow globe store <laughs> you're like would somebody really write a book about a snow globe store? Oh, these are really tough. You did a really good job here. <laughs> I'm going to go false. It's real. <laughs> you got that one wrong. Oh, my gosh. Are you ready for your last one? Yeah. So if I get this, I get 50%. Mm. If I don't get this, I'm under 50%. Mm-hmm. And all those people who went on their betting app and betted yeah. over under four for me. <laughs> Okay. Okay, so time in this title is T-H-Y-M-E as in the herb, okay? As in Rosemary and Time, the famous television show. So the title is, A Witch in Time Saves? Nine. Murder in an Herb Shop During Oktoberfest. That's false. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) A Witch in Time Saves? Nine. Nine. I made that one up. Oh, you did such a good job on that. I like arsenic and old base. Arsenic and old base. Dead men sell no kales. <laughs> a witch in time saves. Nine. Nine. <laughs> That's, that is fantastic. Nah, Absolutely. Good I, job. I got four out of four. Good job. So Summersby left everything to his daughter, not to his wife. Yes. And made Susie, the artist, his executor. Yeah, why is his wife in this episode? I don't, I just feel bad for her. She just is cut out of everything and I don't, she wasn't a bad person. I don't know why he did that to her. Yeah, I don't understand. 
But then we know, okay, there's a second box and it's going somewhere else. And so there's this race to get to Cecile's house before she opens it. Yeah. And she does something that surprises me. What? She says the F word. Yeah. Just drops it. She says it in the credits, but I think, what is she supposed to say? I think I forgave them. I don't think she actually says it. Did I read it and not hear it or hear it and not read it? I think you read it and didn't hear it. So it's in the subtitles, but she didn't say it? I... Uh, oh, I don't know. You I, might have what, to review that because yeah. I was like, wow, she just said it. Yeah. F-bomb. I, boom. I don't think it's an actual F-bomb, but I will review it. Re- you have to review the tape there, Coach, yep. and yep. see. You'll, you'll need to add a little footnote to the, sto- the we'll show put notes. A, we'll put a little soundbite of it, right? <laughs> we'll, okay. So we'll find the relevant passage and we'll put a soundbite of it here and you can be the judge. Now listen here, you. Just because you're gallivanting around the countryside doesn't mean you can fuck me off with the presents. <laughs> now I know, certainly, if I put a beep in it, it's going to sound like it. <laughs> you're going to have to leave the beep out. Yeah. I'll so put, if she did yeah, indeed say yeah. it, sorry, there's a curse word in this episode. I'm sorry. But it's, on, it's for a purpose and yeah. not... Just for cursing's sake. We're usually yes. pretty careful about that. Can we just agree that Curtis Brailsfield is creepy? Ferd, sorry, Brailsford is creepy. His he, aunt is cool and he is creepy. He's gross. Before we even know he has the like whole Bella wall in his room, yeah. he creeps me out. Yeah. So Audrey Brailsford lives in Beehive Cottage and her nephew, Creepy Curtis, is yes. visiting. Yeah. And Rob comes to see her. And She's just being a big old red herring, installing lights in her pergola. Yep. Thereby looking like somebody who could make an electrified roulette wheel. And then she's all veiled references to let's make a night of it and we'll give do me it the again. money. You owe me money. Yep. Which it, they're playing cards. I, I kind of like that she's like a loan shark, I card sharp kind of. I like so that. The old lady at the golf course who's loaning money and being blackmailing yeah i don't like no but i like her yeah i like audrey yep i did look into it because i wanted to know whether you can actually enforce a, a bet made in a social game like if you gamble socially at somebody's house yeah and they say well if i lose you can have my car and then they they're like no you can't have my car is you have do you have any recourse you have no recourse no none, i right? don't it's- the only recourse you have is other illegal things, like unless, send creepy Curtis to beat him up or something. Like, unless you wrote it down, I don't think it's... Exactly. Can, if yeah. you write it down and it's witnessed by other people, then it's a contract. And then yeah. you can try to enforce it in civil court. But if it's just a, a verbal agreement and yeah. it's not a legally sanctioned game anyway, you, yeah. can't, you can't collect on it. No. So Rob could have said like, sorry, no, you can't have your money. No. I mean, everybody would probably say, I'm never going to play poker with you again or whatever, but Which, okay. okay. <laughs> that wouldn't be a bad thing for him. You forgive a bunch of my dad? Sure. Instead, no she's like, double or nothing, baby. Let's play again. Yep. During this big festival where everybody's got a ton of responsibilities, let's just sneak off and play cards. Okay. I guess. Rob's going to do it. I guess trying to get his money back. At Cecilia's house, there's a big dagger print. 
mm-hmm. that they find. Mm-hmm. There's mention of typewriter ribbon, which I, of course, am interested in. But I love her house. Yeah, it's beautiful. That I, house is beautiful. I believe that she sold 60s vintage clothing in London. Yep. She's got the house to suit it. Yep. She dresses to suit it. Yep. But she doesn't have the brain to not touch the thing when she's told not to touch the thing. Neil like wants a, I wouldn't have the brain not to touch the thing. <laughs> Neil wants a bigger cut, and he's talking to Treborn about it. So Vincent Treborn is played by Timothy Watson. I look at everybody's credits to see what else they've done. Yeah, and he's a familiar guy. He's not. No, he's really not been in a lot, but oh, he's, he's done voice work for 83 video games. Wow. Including Super Smash Brothers. What does he do in Super Smash Bros.? Uh, metal man, metal mouth, metal something. Something I, I can't remember. Not, I've never Super played Smash it. Bros. But he also did voice work for a, a game called Everybody's Gone to the Rapture. Yeah, I've heard of that game. It looks like a game you would like. It's not yeah. really a game. Yeah, it's a walk around, learn the story kind of thing. But this is Mom, Mom, I got a part here. Yeah. Do you know why it's Mom, Mom, I got a part? No. The two ladies in the background setting up for the party. Oh, at the gallery? I spent... They bring him way, cards. Way too much money, way too much time watching what they were doing in the background and yeah. making sure it was all right and making sure it was all in continuity, which it was. Because they bring him new price cards. Yes. It goes because from- there's going to be a silent auction for Susie's artwork for from the cover of the Dagger novels. Yes. So the Everything on Red cover went from 746 pounds, which is a lot to pay for this painting. Already. And that's just the reserve. Yeah. That's, that's the lowest possible the bid. Started to 200... 2,000 and... They triple. Or 35 pounds. Yeah. yeah, they triple. I wondered if that really happens when an uh, uh, artist dies. I mean, you hear... There's kind of a, I don't know, myth, urban legend, whatever, that as soon as an artist dies, all their work goes up in price. Which is understandable. They can't make any more art. So then their art becomes necessarily rarer. It's yes and no. Right. Okay. So it's different for authors than for artists. So let's start with art with authors. Okay. Yeah. If an author dies, it really only impacts the price of their signed books because there mm. will be no more new signed books. Yes. Right. And if those books weren't going for anything already, they won't suddenly be worth something. Right. Understood. Otherwise, it's just there's there might be increased demand because of attention because of the news that they've died. Yeah. But. That's kind of artificial price mm-hmm. increase. Now, an artist, it <laughs> I read several places about that the phenomenon of an artist's prices going up when they die, and they all kind of agreed, but one guy put it really, really well. He said an, the value of their art only goes up suddenly when they die if two things are true already. One is that their art was already in high demand. Yes. Right? People have to already want it a lot. Yes. And two, they have to die prematurely and suddenly and unexpectedly. Yeah. Like if they die of old age, then their their production rate goes down over time and people understand that there's going to be less art on the market and prices reflect that. And it's kind of a gradual increase or decrease. Of course, that makes sense. Right. But if you're in high demand and you just drop dead, then there can be this artificial bump but what i didn't know is the opposite can also happen if you die suddenly and your art is in demand and the executor of your estate isn't savvy they can suddenly put a bunch of your work on the market and flood it and drive the price 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 down. down yeah 
Oh, wow. Because maybe they're desperate for money because there's like estate taxes to pay or, or something like that, or they're not savvy and don't appreciate the value of stuff. Or if you're an artist who kept a lot back and didn't sell much of your work, so there's suddenly all this work available, the prices can just plummet oh. right after you die. Wow. So if you're an artist, be careful who you leave your estate to. You I know? guess, yeah. Or maybe you don't care anymore because you're dead. So Jeannie... George's wife thinks the manuscript is a fake. She's like, this whole story of finding it in the attic is bullshit. It, yeah. it didn't exist. Whatever. Yep. It's not real. What I want to know is whether you think he wrote it before he faked his death or after. Well, it's implied that he used this, that he still has a vintage typewriter. Mm -hmm. By the way, that's not a 1953 typewriter. I knew you'd say that. Anyway. It's like a 60s typewriter. Okay, 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 okay. We could talk about the typewriter alone for an hour in this episode, but on your own, you can do that for my next podcast. <laughs> Boring typewriter Typewriters tales. for nerds. <laughs> anyway, so do you th do you think we're supposed to believe that he actually finished that book after he faked his death? I believe so. Yes. So Susie knows he's alive. Yes, Susie has to know he's alive, and, and I think she does. And of course, Cecilia does, and George does. Yeah. So I think if you're going to fake your death, you need fewer people involved. Yeah, I think you need to know. And you probably need to thought. move more than 30 minutes away. Yeah. 30 miles away. Like, I, well, okay. I, the two problems I have with his faking his death is he moves 30 minutes away. Like, I'm in Sainsby's and I see the, the Rev Sue's and him. Yeah. Like, like he's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Right? Second of all. He's wandering around the town in daylight, the book festival that's all about him. Yeah. Like, no wonder the creepy guy but is Mark, like, he there has, he is over Mark, there. Mark, he has a sock hat on. I don't care. Nobody can recognize you in a sock hat. His picture, which is the same picture of him from his brother's book, <laughs> is on the back of all of his books. But he's got on a sock hat. I don't care. <laughs> in a quilted jacket. If you're going to fake your death, you need to move to Mallorca or something. I don't know. If you put on a hat and a puffy coat, nobody knows who I you could are wander anymore. around this neighborhood. No one would know me. <laughs> Cecilia's car is missing. Yes. Because George has her car. Yeah. Because he's tooling around in it. Almost running over his own daughter. Would you, Yeah. Would you not just stay put? Stay home. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Stay out of the limelight. Bella goes upstairs in her house. I guess it's above the bookshop that she shares with Rob. And she gets a book out of a drawer. Creepy Curtis is looking on from the hallway. Yes, and that's when... Are the receipts from Rob's gambling? What are the receipts from that she sees that she's I like... <gasps> guess IOUs? They, they're printed, like receipts. I, I Does call... Audrey have like a... Like a cash register at her place for <laughs> poker night. <laughs> like he's got a chitty that he took home with him. This is I owe Audrey money. I guess. <laughs> She's hardcore. And then he's like all creepy talking to Rat Silas, which I don't call Rat Silas. I call him the name of my best friend growing up. <laughs> so we find out that another place has been ransacked and it's the printing shop. Yeah. And Niles's boat has been broken into. Yes. Right? So they know they got to find Niles. And he's in the print shop. He's in the print shop on the printing press. He's been King Leared. He's been King Leared. His chest has been crushed. I, okay. 
So first of all, he is printing on him. It's not how printing works. Oh, stop it. It's, not- it's fun. <laughs> it's fun. But the printing on him immediately like, oh, that's something. And it's Shakespeare. It's King it's Lear. King Lear. Right. But it's big. It's way too big. <laughs> it's like if you were going to print King Lear in poster size, but still have as, as, as many pages as regular okay. size. Okay, <laughs> and I'm going to say this, and I don't usually say this. Neil is a bigger guy. Niall. Niall mm-hmm. is a bigger guy. And Nick is a slight guy. Mm. Niall could easily kick his ass. But if Nick conks him on the head and makes him unconscious, probably less, unconscious might be harder, but kind of woozy and then shoves shoves him over and then pulls it down it would squeeze your head first wouldn't it it it, it would but because it it's like a you know if you think about a book closing basically that's how that press closes but right that, or does that, it come straight up and down it's the kind of press it is there's a counterweight to get the rocking motion uh-huh but it would it would just stop it just it wouldn't print on him and it wouldn't kill him if it was already inked it would print on him Maybe a little bit, but not like over the ridges of his nose. No, no, it would just flatten his face if yeah. it was that effective. Yeah. But but Nelson has to like uncrank the mechanism to to get it off of him to open it. And that mechanism does. Uh, it's like cast iron. It's yeah, heavy. That, that mechanism is heavy, and it does require some effort to close it, but it's only ever overcoming paper, right? Mm. It's only overcoming the air between the paper and the press. So those mechanisms would break instantly. It doesn't have crushing power. Yeah, it doesn't have crushing power. Okay, so here's how it happens. Okay. So Niall is standing in front of the press. He has it fully open. He has the King Lear plates in it, and he's just finished inking them, and he's just whistling and not paying any attention. Yes. Nick comes up behind him, bashes him on the head to make him woozy, shoves him over. Flips him over. He's got to flip him over. Well, maybe he, maybe Niall is just conscious enough to turn around and be like, oh, it's you. (laughs) He has has to say say that. that. And then Nick shoves him backwards and he kind of falls into it and then he releases the lever and the thing comes boom crashing down on it. No, it wouldn't do that, but okay. that's what we'll go with. It does in Midsummer. Yeah. That's how they work in Midsummer. Yeah. I love how the first death, the first two deaths are flashy, crazy ways to die. The second death is a flashy, crazy moment of passion way to die. The The third death is a, a sticky with the knife. Well, Nick's running out of time. He, he is. Right? He is. And you say Niles' death isn't flashy, but some undertaker has to scrub the text <laughs> off his face and his hands. Yeah. And his hair. Yeah. <laughs> his nose, his neck, his clothes. It's not how it works. But like somebody's going to have to get a squeegee out and scrub King Lear off his nostrils. I would have loved to seen the behind the scenes pictures of this and how they did it and everything. Yeah, me it, too. He has, I don't think he has ink. But he has something on his skin mm-hmm. and is like it's printed there. Yeah. And I think they actually used a plate because it it flows. The text flows from like one sleeve across his chest to the other sleeve. I think maybe they inked those plates and just had the actor lean over them and lay on them. No, no. Wouldn't have worked. It, that wouldn't work? No. <laughs> no. It it there's also like 
the whole part of why <laughs> I know it's flat and, and humans it's, aren't flat, yeah. right? But let's say he laid down, right? And they ink the plate and they put it on him and then they kind of rock it a little bit. They would have to do that, but it would create smudges. If they were real careful. <laughs> <laughs> no, they totally painted each individual letter on. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Somebody find the person who did this. <laughs> On this episode, because we're going to go down over this. Yeah. Because that text is too consistent. It goes over and under folds in his clothes as if it, when it, where it's folded, the text goes over the fold. Yeah. So it was already pre-folded and pre-smooshed up when they did this stuff on him. No. Okay. So what we're saying to our listeners is, first of all, this. If you know somebody on Midsummer, first of all, why have you not contacted us already? Yeah. Second of all, if you know somebody who worked on the crew of this Midsummer, Or somebody who does similar kind of work, how would they do it? How would they do it? Find them. We need to know. So George has been living with Cecile. Yes. Faked his death. Yes. His brother had a patient who died of a natural cause. Just. So apparently he didn't have any family who wanted to know. What about that guy's family? Uh, No. He, He was a hermit. Okay. Yeah. This guy was a hermit. So Nick had a hermit as a patient. Yeah. Right. No family. Nobody. No family. Nobody cares Lived about in this a cave. Guy. Right. He dies of natural causes. At the incredible right time. Well, no, no, no. Because George knows he wants to fake his death. They're just waiting. Just waiting. You got any patients? Anybody, Nick? Anybody? Anybody coughing? Anybody kind of sick? No. Kinda, no. Okay. You need to find a hermit and offer to be his doctor. Yes. One who's kind of sick. Are you a hermit? Cool. Do you need a doctor? Are, are you coughing? Are you coughing? Are you feeling under the weather? Yes. Okay. So when he dies, they take him down to the marina, toss him in the water, and drive a boat over him. Over and over. Well, no, oh, there's your sound effect drive, bingo card square, yes. by the way. Because the propeller they has to rip him up. They don't drive the boat over him. They, they would have to take his head and rub it against the propeller. Oh! <laughs> Oh, because otherwise, like it would be, so it would bounce off of it. Yeah, yeah, it happenstance. Yeah, because like the backdraft of the current from the boat would probably like shove him away from the boat, not pull him into the boat. Right? And what would that sound like? I'm not doing it again. <laughs> People already got the bingo square. Thank you very much. I'm not going to sing. I'm not. No, not nothing harmonious is coming out of my mouth. Okay, that's that's cruel. Even to a dead person that nobody loves, it's cruel. I wouldn't do that to Curtis. <laughs> and he's creepy. He doesn't get paid. Why are you faking your death? Why are you helping me? You're my brother. Okay, well, now all of a sudden I need to kill everybody. <laughs> Look, there are problems here. I mean, I'm glad that Midsummer glosses over them because this is an entertaining and fun episode. I like yes. this. But and really, I love the, the, the sort of, oh, he's not dead. If you're Nick and you hate your brother and you've always wanted him gone because everybody pays attention to him but you, and he says, I want to fake my death. And you're like, cool, I'll help you. Yep. Then you just kill him. You just kill him. <laughs> and then you say, he was going to fake his death. Look, here's all the evidence. He did a bad job. He held his own face against this outboard motor. <laughs> That was a dumb way to do it. I told him not to, but he did it anyway. Yep. And now he's dead. Oops. Ugh. Boy, he was an idiot. And yep. now he's gone. Done. And then you don't have to roulette or print or stab or anything. It's all done. This is the worst poker game red herring ever. <laughs> 
I don't know what game they're playing. I don't know why they have four hole cards. Mm -mm. I don't know why he puts up the cottage. I don't like... Rob has a gambling problem. People who have gambling problems can't accept when they're losing. They okay. think the next card is it. The next, this is it. This is it. I'm going to win this time. His hand is not that good. It's not that good. And she's clearly showing signs that she has a better hand. And he thinks she's bluffing. People who win all the time don't bluff. They don't have to. They don't have to. And they fold when they don't have a good hand. Yep. They just fold. They're just out. With their four cards. No game has four whole cards that i know of they're not playing i don't know what they're playing it's luxton deeping poker okay. different rules okay different rules and okay i realize it is the biggest bookstore on the outside on the inside than it is on the outside mm -hmm. but her cottage is worth way more than that yeah especially if it's only half of her of the bookstore yeah because bella owns the other half yeah mangled by propellers that's what the, the episode should be <laughs> You know what they call faking, faking your own death? What? It's called pseudocide. Pseudocide. It's technically not illegal to fake your own death. It's not illegal as an adult to disappear. Okay. And tell no one where you're going. No, I would say that that's not illegal. But you inadvertently end up breaking a bunch of laws when you do it because of what happens after. Okay. So, so like your family claims the insurance. Now they're breaking the law. You you don't pay taxes anymore. You know you go you change your name illegally. You this start is using why, a new identity. Now you're breaking law. This is why it has the seven year. Yeah, you can't have you have to have, wait seven years to have somebody declared dead. Yeah, yeah, because eventually they'll surface if if they faked it. Yeah, if they pseudocided by holding their own face against and, a boat propeller, and it would be so difficult to do nowadays. Oh my gosh, you'd have to go off the grid and live in the woods. And. You would have to have a new identity, and that's illegal. Yeah, and then you're breaking the law. Yeah. Yep. So... Unless you move to another country and start a podcast. <laughs> Just saying. Just saying. So George has definitely faked his death. Everybody knows that now. Well, Barnaby and Nelson know it, and they confront Nick about George's body, and he admits that he helped him. Yeah. What they don't know at that point is that George is, like, um, in town. Like, he didn't run off. He's there. Right. So Curtis sees him in the graveyard yep. because his puffer coat and sock hat don't hide him well enough. Does Curtis have the worst? Like, OK, we've talked about this, that English actors sometimes are not the beautiful people that American actors are. They use their actors look more like real people. But does Curtis have the worst mouth in Midsummer? He does. It's just bad. Here's what I don't get about Curtis. He's creepy. Right? Yeah. Why does he like George? He should hate George. Yeah. Because he loves Bella. And when Bella dumped him, when they were like 12 or whatever, Bella said, my parents won't let me see you anymore. Yeah. Right? So Curtis should be like, well, then I hate your parents. Jeannie and George. Oh, I hate you. Yeah. But he doesn't. He's like George's biggest fan. The whole way they know that Maggie is involved is because she tells him there's 23 murders in the books. And he's such a fan. He knows there's only 20. Yeah. Which means that she's either killed three more people and is including them in the book total or that she's read the manuscript. Yeah. Of the missing book. So he is a big enough fan to know that. He's a big enough fan to, to recognize George even in his super disguise. Yes. But he should hate them, right? He should hate him. And he ruined his life. 
the fact that he went out with Bella for a while with a mouth like that is... He, well, when they were little. He should be happy, you know. By the way, the actress who plays Bella Summersby, her name is Georgia Taylor. She's been in over a thousand episodes of Coronation Street. Wow. So people probably really know who she is if you've yeah. ever seen Coronation Street, which most people in the UK, I would say, have seen at least a bit of. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I understand why he would still be obsessed with Bella, but not with uh george i don't think he would like his books at and i also gotta think he's not the smartest bulb in the pack and he immediately knows it's george because <laughs> <laughs> he knows george he likes george so much yeah. he knows him so well so george and bella meet in the woods and then george is killed on yes. the bridge that you love so much uh, okay, it's I a like, cool bridge I, it's a cool bridge it's suddenly foggy fog by the way it's suddenly Super foggy, foggy fog, fog. There's a jump scare here. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, midsummer. <laughs> well, you know, George is on the run. Yeah. He knows there's a killer. He knows the killer is probably out to get him. He should know exactly who it is. What I want to know is they find Bella with the knife and a dead body and the knife in her hands. Mm -hmm. And they don't take her to the cop shop right away. No, no. Let's go back to your bookstore. <laughs> what? Why doesn't George just go to the police? His girlfriend has been killed. Yeah. His former girlfriend, everybody believes he had an affair with Susie. She's been killed. Yeah. The printers get... Niles dead. has been killed. Yeah. I would say, you know, you pretending to be dead is not really working. It's probably time to give yourself up to be alive. Now, this episode, because I do this now, because I'm old and forgetful, about 10 minutes in, I go... Okay, I think it's this person. Mm -hmm. And I fast forward to the end. I see who it is. Because mm -hmm. so then I can pick up clues and right. stuff like that. I think I remember thinking that maybe it was Bella who had done this mm. at one point when I think we first watched it. Because she, she's there with blood on her hands and the knife. Like. Well, and you can imagine her wanting to get revenge against people who she thought hurt her dad in some way yeah. or helped her dad lie to her. Yes. You know, if she was angry at her dad for faking his death and she uncovered it, then she would want to kill those people too. But no, it's her uncle. Uncle Nick is yeah. the killer. They, when they find her with George dead in her arms, yes, they take her back to the bookshop, but first they put her in either an ambulance or in the police van. Yeah. And they put a blanket on her to talk to her and they bring her tea, which they do... In every scene similar to this, in every cop show you've ever seen, somebody's in shock, you bring them hot, sugary tea. Yep. Right? Something warm and sugary because it helps you get over shock. Who provides it? Well... If you're you, not at somebody's house and you can make the tea there, if you're in the woods, who provides it? You asked me this, and I've decided that there's a tea van that follows <laughs> around the ambulance. Just in case... That provides tea. <laughs> they're like the tea ladies who work in offices, but they're like on call and yep. they have woo woo sirens yep. and everything. They're like, tea emergency. Let's go, Betty. They, <laughs> all, they, they also do chips. <laughs> <laughs> they provide snacks to the, yep. the sacos and, and stuff. Yeah, they fish, do, fish and chips and, nice and sugary tea. Cod and chips. Can they come to our house? Because uh, that sounds really yes. good. Yes, it does. <laughs> You don't even eat fish. I don't eat fish, about? but... Uh, Warm chip chips are good. Chips is good. Chip, chippy trucks. Yep. I just... 
if anybody knows, I, I, I legitimately, I want to know because obviously the ambulance doesn't have a kettle in it. No. I think that maybe the, the community support officers might have a thermos, I guess, that they make real quick and bring in case somebody needs it. I don't, I don't know. I actually want to know. I don't know. So if anybody knows, tell us who brings the tea to the person in shock who provides it. Curtis is the worst escaper ever. Yes. He runs through a greenhouse. (laughs) Nelson's like, screw that. That's a hard way to go. I'll just go around. And then Curtis is like, ha ha, but I'll turn around and go back the other way slowly through this greenhouse that has all the stairs and stuff I could trip on. And Nelson's like, all right, I'll just run around it again. Nelson just totally follows him. (laughs) I think... Every episode so far that we've covered that has Nelson in it, at least once in my notes, I have, go, Nelson, go. Yes, he does like to run, but but Curtis may be one of our worst escapes ever. Yeah. He's he's worse than Bella running with the shotgun across <laughs> the fields in the first episode. So Curtis slips in, confronts Bella, speaking of Bella, yeah. um, about her lie, about why they couldn't see each other. Yes. What she should just say is, dude, you're creepy and your mouth is weird. Your mouth is weird. That's why I broke up with you. Yes. I tried to soften it by saying it was my parents, but it was me. Okay. I'm just going to break it to you. I'm a little bit out of your league. And you're creepy. Okay. I mean, I've been in Coronation Street. What about you? Yeah. Creepy Curtis. Exactly. But she's got to get the letter opener. Nelson comes in, talks her down, puts his hand out. She puts the letter opener in his hand. And I notice that Nelson has a thumbnail that is completely black. Okay. Like, Like he's hit his thumb with a hammer. Whack. So we have a picture of this and we'll put it in yes. the show notes. Do you think he has black nail polish on that thumb no, or I think it's, it's I think it's been whacked and there's no way of hiding it. No. Because you can't paint over that. No. No, nothing's going to cover it. I mean, no. unless they put like bright red nail polish on him, no. it's not going to hide it. Um, poor guy, though. It looks like it would hurt. Yeah. I'm a little worried about him. You know, Tom Barnaby had long fingernails. Winter may or may not wear underwear. And Nelson's got an ouchie on his thumbnail. Yes. Anyhow, Maggie just throws that manuscript into the audience. Yeah. Because she she has stolen something. She has committed a crime. Yes. She snuck into Susie's place and broke a window to pretend. Just before. To ransack it. Nick killed him. Found the manuscript, slipped out. Meanwhile, her husband is putting packages in the mail. Yep. Because, you know, he's been out in the garage building something. She doesn't know what it is. How did she not notice he was rigging? an order for two roulette wheels here? Yeah. (laughs) What are you doing, Nick? Oh, maybe it's for one of Audrey's gambling nights. Okay. I don't don't know how he pulled that off, but he pulled that off. And so, really, they're kind of partners in crime without knowing it. Yeah. But I I think we are to believe that Maggie legitimately loves him. I think so. Yeah. When he says, I've never been the star of the show, I've never been the most important Summers Bee, she says, you're the most important Summers Bee to me. Yeah. And I think she legitimately believes in his book, too. Uh, That she thinks that he really helped George. I do. I think all those things. I haven't always thought that, though, because of when she arrives in Luxton Deeping, she arrives after George's death. Yeah. I thought, oh, she's an opportunist. No. Kind of. I just think it's coincidental. I think, yeah. I But when she throws the manuscript, that's all the evidence you need. Like, yep. she absolutely loves him more than she loves the books and the whole scene. 
And then we climbed the tall hill to the moral high ground. (laughs) Audrey's like, you can keep your bookshop because I can't really make you give it to me anyway. And I wouldn't want to run it. No, it would be like a lot of work and Curtis would be creeping around and everything and sniffing stuff that Bella had touched and whatever. And nobody wants that. Though I do think Audrey legitimately loves her nephew, too. She has his picture on her cyborg, you know. If you have pictures of a living person, more than one, Mm -hmm. in a mosaic or collage-like pattern upon your bedroom wall, you need to seek help. Especially if any of those photos have been taken without the knowledge of that person. You you need to (laughs) seek help now. That's a a big sign. That's a warning sign. If they don't know that some of those photos were even taken of them and you have them on your wall, you need help. TV mystery trope. (laughs) I know. That that just signals bat crazy. It's usually in a closet or something, though, right? So Curtis doesn't even live here. Remember that. Yeah. He spent summers with his aunt when he was younger and he lives in London. Yeah. He's but, just visiting. But he has keeps his shrine there. That little shrine there. Does he have another shrine in his place in London? Because he's an analyst, know. remember? Yes. Maybe he's got two copies of it, and then you're in double trouble. You really need help. If you yeah. have your travel version of your obsessive shrine, yeah. and then your vacation version of your obsessive shrine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really. That's just my vacation shrine. Yeah, it's smaller. It's, yeah. you know, it's travel sized. It's convenient. It's compact. I can take it where I need to go. Really, you know, if he's an analyst, if he's a computer guy, he should have a digital version. One it. would think. It should be online on like a Tumblr page or something. Will somebody please walk that dog? <laughs> Poor dog. Poor Sykes. Poor Sykes. He's not asking it's for much. Pee everywhere. <laughs> He's like, I'm about to explode. My eyes are yellow. Come on. <laughs> what a good actor dog, too. What a good actor dog. He's great. Absolutely fantastic. Okay, we covered Mom, Mom, I Got a Part. Yep. Best corpse. corpse. <laughs> nice corpse. We've got Susie, Cecile, Niall, and George. Who are you going with? I know I complained about it, but Neil's presentation of his corpse, the fact that he doesn't move, the writing on his face and his clothes is perfect. You can't they have d- him. They did a great you, job. You had nothing but criticism of that body. And I, now you're going to say he's best corpse? Best corpse. I don't know. I would have said Niall. Because I agree with all of those things, but for real reasons, not for reverse psychology, Streisand effect reasons that you're claiming, because you said it was all fakety fake. But uh, Susie gets some credit because she not only flies backwards after getting electrocuted. She does do a great fly backwards. But she has to then sit there with her eyes wide open, looking like a rag doll. And man, you just don't get the first roulette electrocution again. I mean... She's it. Yep. So I'm going to say it's a tie okay. between those two. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. After the credits. Okay. Audrey throws Curtis out, hopefully, but she doesn't. She loves no, him. She, loves she feels him. sorry for him because can, he's obsessed. Why don't, why doesn't she run her gambling den in her house? Maybe she just likes to torture people by doing it in their place. I don't know. Okay. Maggie collects all those pages and then they publish that book. You don't think Maggie's going to do some time for stealing it? Maybe. And I think Miles Radigan's going to publish that book. 
Miles should publish the book. He published all the other books. I know he's a creepy guy, and he was in Bantling Boy, and he was creepy in that, too. But he's not as creepy as Curtis. His name is Simon Kuntz, by the way, the yeah. actor, and he's yes. good at being the high-handed, bald guy who looks down on you. Yes. Um. Yeah, Miles should publish it, and they should put... Susie's cover on it because she did paint it. It was almost done. I got I have to think Vincent Treborn's going to make a mint on that art. Yeah. And I have to think Silas Raven is smart enough and savvy enough to be like, I was there when this all went down mm-hmm. and turn that into a book or publishing or, you know. I wonder who Susie and Niles left their estate to. They don't have any kids. So who gets all that fat cash from those painting selling i wonder maybe maggie maggie might come out like really but well here yeah if because she could say that uh george gave her the book she admits that she broke in to take it in front of a room full of people but Susie's not alive to like prosecute her for it neither is niles so she might she might not do any time they might say you know what she's got her hands full her husband's going to prison forever so yeah he's going he's going to cuckoo prison mm-hmm. i think bella and rob are gonna be okay he'll stop gambling and bella and Jeannie, her mom are getting along now so that's good i think betty will grow up and then strangely disappear in season 22 <laughs> she'll just be like any other kid who goes upstairs and disappears until it's there's food yes that's what ours do yeah so That is season 17, episode one, The Dagger Club. Next time, season 102, episode 102, uh, Murder by Magic, which will be released on the 18th of October. But before that, The Scarecrow Murders mini spoiler free episode will be released on the 14th, on the uh, 15th of October. Yes, yes, yes. And the coming up. This week, on the 13th, I'll release the bingo cards from Beatrice. Mm-hmm. So you can have those handy while you're listening and claim bingo. Because <laughs> of all the dumb things I say. <laughs> They're real. Like, when we got those bingo cards, I was, like, completely blown away. Oh, uh, yeah. Because those people really know us. Yeah. And we're just that predictable. <laughs> but that's all right. I did guess that I would get half of those right, and I did get half of them right. If anybody wants to actually write A Witch in Time Saves, nine! <laughs> Feel free to take that title for me. That's okay. Or Dead Men Sell No Kales. Uh, remember that we're on the Facebook groups for Midsummer and Acorn, plus Twitter, Instagram, and email, subreddit, which has had all sorts of interesting discussions about the new episodes, and I post a, a uh, thread for each new episode that, that says spoilers spoiler inside top, so you can avoid so, it if you haven't watched yep. it yet yeah uh next episode is season 17 episode two murder by magic it's and it's kind of new magic it's kind of david copperfieldy magic yeah it's a good one i it's, like it it's a good one and please remember to do two things first of all like and subscribe to us on youtube and hit the bell if you can mm-hmm. because that helps us out we're getting close to that thousand subscriber area and that would be nice because we'd also you just get uh, it opens up youtube to a whole bunch of different things for us and again that's a not a money thing it's a community thing Mm -hmm. and then second of all if 
you want to write a review for our show, please go to Apple Podcasts and write a review for our show. Even if I, you don't listen to it there. I put the two latest reviews in the newsletter this this time. And if you put in reviews, I'll put them in the newsletter. Yeah. Thank you for everybody who has yeah, for, left one. We appreciate it. Yeah. It just it just helps other people find us. We're a slave to their algorithm, whether we like it or not. It, it just you know. moves us up the charts of yeah. TV and podcasts and stuff like this. It just helps other people notice us. Yeah. So, so until next time, make it and shake it, maniacs. <laughs> Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Peter picked a peck of pickled pepper peckers. Pepper. I'm not saying anything like that because it will end up in the outtake. <laughs> okay, that's the outtake. Yep, I knew it as soon as I said it.